0: welcome back to keeping tabs i'm the crock and first i would like to thank our sponsor 32 below fro yo and more opening in august in cordelaine idaho frozen yogurt small bites adult beverages and much more so go follow them on all their social media 32 below fro and more keep up to date on what's happening when their official start date is Um, And let's jump into the episode with Jeff Conroy. He is an entrepreneur, uh, businessman, a nonprofit leader. He does consulting, um, staff trainings with different organizations, Um, amazing human community leader, and the list goes on. So enjoy the episode. Okay. Okay. All right, I have Jeff Conroy with me. Thank you so much, Jeff, for uh, joining me on my podcast. Um, I had you in my video project and then brought you onto the official Keeping Tabs podcast. So thank you so very much.
1: I feel like a veteran, Tab. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I just wanted to talk to Jeff so I can let him give a little background. So if you don't know who Jeff is or what he does, um, just tell us a little bit about you and what you're doing now and your background, and then we'll get started with some fun questions.
1: Well, for 30 years, I was in the nonprofit world. I spent 16 years working for the Boy Scouts of America. I was the director of the local United Way in Coeur d'Alene. Most recently, I was the director of St. Vincent de Paul in North Idaho. And uh, and now doing some coaching and consulting with Conroy Leadership Consulting and really focus on working with nonprofits. So uh, I still get to play in the nonprofit world and, and it's a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, and so the, the what we really want to talk about today was, um, especially your um, work with like staff training and boards um, and your experience with that and what you're doing um, and the I guess the big question is the importance of doing this.
1: Sure, uh, you know, like you and I are talking, we'll call it the green room when before we came on. Uh, <laughs> I, was, I was I was talking about you know we were talking about. The COVID crisis going on and nonprofits struggling, and I said, "If this is why I really stress nonprofits have um, excellent structure and organization, and that way they were able to handle a crisis like this." And you also have to have a very very strong board. So when I'm working with nonprofits now, I, I really talk about. You know, making sure that you have a, a strong board, a committed board, a knowledgeable board, a working board, uh, and have a, a decent succession plan in, in place. And what does that look like? Do you have job descriptions? Uh, board members need to have job descriptions. They need to know what's expected of them. Um, and, and they each need to have a, a, an important role. People want to join boards to make a difference, not to fill a seat. Oh, so that's, that's true. That. So
0: Yeah. So that's what I am, I guess, because working with the Centennial Trail, I'm very fortunate um, to work with such a great board and I have a very active board, but it did, you bring up the the thing is like, I don't, I mean, job descriptions, like what is everybody's, you know, role in this? And I think that that could be even more of a success to everyone knowing what to do. I mean, I want to know what I'm I'm supposed to do as, you know, an employee. Um, So that's such a great point is to to know your role.
1: <laughs> well, how do you know you're successful if you don't know if you don't know what your role is? Yeah, what's the
0: outcome? Like, how do you know yeah. that you were successful?
1: Yeah, one of the things I really push with nonprofits is to create committees, uh, committees that are important to them—a finance committee, a fundraising committee, um, a marketing committee—and then recruit board members to sit on those committees so you have experts in the field sitting around the table at those committees. People sitting around the the marketing committee table are not all board members, just a couple of them are, but they are leading that group. And then when they go back to the board meeting, your board meeting then becomes a report meeting and they can report on what the work is being done within that committee. Um, that really makes a nonprofit stronger and you have everybody working in their expert field supporting your organization.
0: So what is one um, like if there's one or two nuggets that you should know as a nonprofit leader or nonprofit or a board, what are something like two things that your board should do to be successful?
1: Uh, be For the board to be successful, uh, mm-hmm. be involved and be trained, <clears throat> understand what your nonprofit does, and be a contributing member. That's one thing. The second thing would be to get involved with your nonprofit. Participate. With your times, talents, or treasures, participate with that nonprofit. They're, they need to benefit from you and your sphere of friends. Everyone's got a sphere. So it's really important that as a board member, you are, you are promoting your nonprofit as an ambassador within the community and within your friends. So it's really important for a board member to do
0: that. And I think go right back to that, filling a seat. Like um, some people just want on their resume, Hey, I sit on these boards and we've all dealt with that. And we've all dealt with those hard questions or hard conversations of like, all right, I think it's time for you to move on because it's not a right fit for either person.
1: Most definitely. And I work with a lot of nonprofits who have people that don't even show up, but they, but they hold a seat. So I say, well, how many meetings can they miss? Well, we really don't have anything in writing. You got it. That's where structure and organization comes in place. What's a term limit? Is it three years? I push three years. The reason I push three years is because when a board member comes on, they they are living with what they got. The second year they are get to implement their plan. The third year they get to reap the benefits of their plan. A lot of the nonprofits, it's a one year term. And to me, that's you're barely getting started, man.
0: Yeah. You just get excited. I mean, you just get into it and then you start to learn in the next year. You have the new fundraisers and the new things. You're like, all right, I had this last year the experience, like, let's, let's start really digging in. Yeah. Um, uh, so I, I mean, I work for our board, or our board and there's only one of me. There's, I'm the only staff, so I'm not de- ne- technically the person or the group you would come into for a staff training, but like bigger organizations, nonprofits, or even other organizations. Um, so what do you do when you come in and do a staff training? I know there's probably tons of levels to this, but, um, kind of what do you do when you get dive into a whole staff
1: training? To a whole staff training, you know, and, and i and what's what's interesting is I've worked for different levels of different sizes of nonprofits. When I worked for the Boy Scouts, I had a staff of 27. When I worked for the United Way, it was me and a part timer. <clears throat> when, when I was at Vinnie's, I had 103 employees. So what the first thing I try to do is try to create a common ground, a common understanding, a common language. It's that way, they understand where I am coming from as a leader with my vision and, and the goals that I want to focus on. But we're all using the same language and the same understanding. Is it 100 percent buy in? No, but I'll say it's about 90 percent buy in. Uh, everyone most most vast majority understands what I'm trying to do. Um, but you want to make sure they understand the organization. That starts from the onboarding process. When a new employee comes on, you gotta have uh, an onboarding paperwork. You've gotta, they've gotta understand what their job description is. They've gotta understand the flow. They gotta know where the coffee pot is and where the restroom is. Uh, They've gotta understand their job and you try and partner them with a mentor. So that's where the the training starts. Then when you start having structured training for the staff, That's where your foundation, your lingo, your acronyms all come into place. Anything above and beyond that to me is gravy. Uh, It's constant developing, bringing in people from the outside in to train your staff on topics. Um, uh, Right now I see a lot of uh, flyers uh, on COVID. I see a lot of HR directors. Promoting COVID within their staff, not promoting COVID, but promoting the (laughs) prevention of COVID, uh, with with their staff. Uh, Just want to clarify that. Yeah, I got Uh, it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But you know that's the hot topic right now, and bringing bringing teams of people in to do uh, COVID prevention training. Uh, There is. Uh, stress. Uh, I see a lot of stress training going on, how to relieve stress within the workplace, that type of stuff. But you got to have that foundation, that common ground, that understanding of where you're coming from and and where you want to take the organization. Once that initial one for me is done, we, we do trainings on a monthly basis. But every year we kind of have our, our own staff business meeting. Where I roll out the budget, and I show this, I showed all 103 Vinny staff the budget repeatedly um, on that day, and, and tried to explain to them the budget and explain to them a vision. So you're you're still creating that common ground. You're still creating that vision that everyone can see, um, and you you answer any and all questions that people may have. So uh, training is is not a one-time event. It's it's not a it's it's not a destination. It's a process. It's it's ongoing.
0: Oh yeah, it's not a band-aid. It's not like, okay, we've had some like, you know, there's always, you know, you hit this point where it's not getting along. You can just feel the difference. And it's not like, okay, we brought someone in. We got this. It's a like you said, it's ongoing. It's checking in. It's making sure you're doing your homework, making sure that, you know, especially I think the leaders within companies, I think it's most important for them can like because they can go right back into their old ways.
1: You bet you they can. And that's why it's important for for a, a leader to have, I, I used to call them, my, my directors, my lieutenants, and I would I would have a weekly meeting with the lieutenants and just just discuss what was going on uh, with their team. The other six or four days of the week, I would walk around and talk with their team, but I would talk to them directly and make sure that we're still on the same same path.
0: And do you see- Because a- I've been on
1: paths by myself.
0: Oh, yeah. The- <laughs> yeah. And do you see a big success um, with the companies that you've worked with that, you know, are you noticing a big change in these guys? I- after you come in and do
1: all this there, there's there's quite a few Buddhist aha moments uh, you know especially when when uh, I do, I do uh, board retreats and I bring up the idea of the committees because because a lot of nonprofits and, and let's, let's be honest here uh, in our area 95% of the nonprofits are small mm-hmm. there's very few really big nonprofits and so the smaller nonprofits are looking for people on their board or to help them that can, that basically if they can fog a mirror or have a pulse, we want them. Yeah. But you want to recruit your board with purpose and you want to recruit your committees with purpose. And that's when I bring up the committee idea of, look, for a finance committee, you want CPA, CFOs and bankers, people who understand your your, your financials. <clears throat> because a vast majority of your board member board members could care less about your finances. They can't read the. They can't read the 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 ledger. They can't read the P and L. They can't do that. So you need CPA, CFOs, and bankers to do that. To be in a committee once a month to go over your financials. To be the experts and come back to the board and say, we approve or we've got issues. Uh, it's it's really important uh, to do that. And when I explain that to a really small nonprofit, they're like. Wow, we never thought of that. And I said, You only need to have the treasurer and one other be on your finance committee. Everyone else is just committee members who are, are, are increasing your sphere of influence. And it's kind of like that I never thought of that. <laughs> you know, I'm working with, an, a, with a nonprofit down in the Moscow uh, Pullman area that we're, we're working on this committee thing. And, and almost every time it's like, Okay, well, that's cool. All right, I get that. Oh, I know so and so, and I know so and so, and I'm like, yeah. I mean, you everybody knows people, but recruit them with purpose. Don't don't. And then then if a then if a a finance person has to leave your committee or your treasurer times out, go find another finance person. You just don't have to take anybody. You need someone in the CPA, CFO, and banker world.
0: Oh yeah, completely. I I'm I have a great treasurer on the centennial, um, and he like dumbs it down for all of us like he really like gives us the key numbers so we don't have to look all of that um but he's you know those people are geek with numbers and they're great with it and they love it and that's why they do it, because they get to give their time and things and their talent and what they're really good at um speaking and of- they
1: all look at, and they all look at your financials differently oh yeah i've had i've had cpa sit on my finance committee with a ruler going line by line
0: <laughs> yep Here? i have one Here? of those guys too yep. Um speaking of budgets, um it is tough for nonprofits right now. Um yeah. we're all a little scared. Um it's just change and I think we and I started to talk in the green room a little bit about covid hit and nonprofit we're going to see some nonprofits I think um kind of disappear because of this. Um let's talk a little bit about being prepared for moments like this. I mean, we didn't expect this, but there's You know, there's times when the economy crashes, there's times like this. So what do you mean by being prepared for, I guess, the worst?
1: Yeah. You know, and and for smaller nonprofits, it's really hard because there's a, with like all nonprofits, there's a finite amount of money. It's just how experienced are you in, in, in understanding the finances? A lot of times people start nonprofits. It's a passion project. I mean, yeah. I I can think of three or four right now off top of my head that they were started because of passion projects, not because they were financial geniuses. So that's that's another reason to get a really good finance committee of CPA, CFOs, and bankers. Um but over a period of time, I I had a I had a gentleman that I worked with, he was my my executive director, and I learned so much finance from him. He had a he had he called it the coffee can mentality. He would try and and stash money, stash money in coffee cans for rainy day. It's like a rainy day fund. Mm-hmm. And and it would it would be there in case of crisis. Now, let's be honest. The, the COVID thing that's going on right now, no one could have ever prepared or, or predicted it. It's just those who are more prepared than others right now. Unfortunately, bigger nonprofits are, have more funding sources. They have federal funding, they have grants and endowments, and they have yearly giving small really small nonprofits. a lot of it is just annual giving very few grants no federal funding it's just a matter of of how you situate your finances uh for a rainy day you should always prepare for a rainy day we didn't predict the recession in 2008 and and we we went through that um when I was at Vinnie's and and because of a great finance committee and a great finance director we were able to get through it Um, but this, this is, this is pretty brutal.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm getting very creative on how we raise money for the North out Centennial trail. Um, I am luckily to have some great relationships with other nonprofit, um, leaders or director of operations or, you know, um, anybody that does all the, uh, donations and gift officers and those things, um, is the creativity you have to have at this time too, is because we can't do that in-person stuff like we used to.
1: No, and Zoom's been a godsend. Yeah. Do, I, I've watched more on, online uh, virtual fundraisers and auctions. I think it's brilliant. It's genius.
0: And like, what do you, what is your, I mean, I, I, I have an idea of what do you think this is going, to? I mean, say let's things get back to normal-ish. Um, you know, are we still going to stay with this, not like this giving the way that they are, because it can be a little bit easier. I mean, we're doing Ales for a Trail in a Bag, um, whole different concept. Right. The time and energy that I'm putting into it is a lot. I mean, I've had to plan it four times, but um, but the energy and time going into it this time, I'm like, gosh, this is a lot easier than like, you know, getting all the vendors there and doing all the, like the picking up kegs. You know what I mean? So you think it's going to be a shift and change when things get back to like somewhat normal?
1: I, th- I think it's another tool for the, for the nonprofit tool belt. I think it's another, another way to raise money. You have you know you have, you have auctions, you have golf tournaments, you have um, dinners, you have all sorts of events. Now you have virtual. I mean, I think, I think that's what's going to happen down the road. Um, I don't think nonprofits are going to make, I don't know for sure. But from what I'm hearing, the, the amount of money they're making on nonprofits is not as much. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's more of about being a presence and still trying uh, than anything else right now. But I think, I think it'll be another, another fundraiser in the fundraising arsenal.
0: Yeah, and it's, I mean, it'll be great for little nonprofits too, when they can't get you know, like we can't have those they, the huge auctions like the Boys and Girls Club or Children's right. Village. Um, and so it is, it makes it right there on your screen. It doesn't take as much energy because you have a small staff. So right. I think it's I think it's gonna be fun and people have I've just seen creativity nonstop and I think it's just awesome.
1: Exactly. I was looking at uh, you mentioned children's village. I, I was looking at children's village this morning. The way they have it presented. You know, it's it, it's on a it's a graphic of a, of a, a one page and it, it's got lots of colors and lots of pictures and and people are attracted to that. I, I went through every one of them. I mean, even I'm attracted to it uh, and I know what they're doing. so I, I think it's I think it's exciting. It's 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 very creative. It gives nonprofits a chance to 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 shine a little bit yeah. more. They, and especially fine. right now,
0: like the Children's Village is a great example of a nonprofit or is that we need right now. Like we can't be one of those nonprofits like, oh, they'll be fine for a little bit. No, it's one of those, especially right now, people are homeless, people are not making money. Like this is, we need this, they need the funding.
1: Yeah, and that's the other part is that there's nonprofits that are essential, that, that are, are badly, badly, badly needed. They are They are survival nonprofits. You know, and I, and I do, I'm working with uh, the quarterly summer theater right now, you know, and we're talking about fundraising and it's hard because they don't see it as, you know, SIDS or or CASA. I mean, those are, those are amazing nonprofits. So how do we make ourselves relevant?
0: Exactly. All right. Let's have a couple fun questions. Um, What is one life lesson you have learned the hard way?
1: uh listen to people uh and um uh get um get involvement from everybody uh when i when i first started at Vinny's and, and started working on the help center um i was so excited about it me and my volunteer john bruning were running 100 miles an hour and we were so excited And we go back to the the staff meetings and they'd look at us with glazed looks and it was a it was yeah, so that's when i realized you know, people who aren't leading people are on a long, lonely walk by themselves. And I was on a long, lonely walk by myself.
0: Mm, that's really good. Um, if you could paint your house any color, like everything in your house would be one color, what would it be?
1: Inside and out? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll go with uh, a light tan yep mm,
0: yeah, that's an easy one. I well I was like thinking gray or white, but white's a lot. Like you think a lot of white in your house would be
1: in- I need to have a little tint.
0: Yeah, yeah, or everything would just you know dirty.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, right.
0: Uh favorite restaurant in Coeur d'Alene
1: Oh you know, I've 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 been a big time fan of uh uh Torovejo forever. Um I was sad to see Junior leave, but he's opened up his new place. I've gone there as well, juniors. Uh, so yeah, probably Torrevejo. Vale.
0: Mm, yeah. You can't go wrong with that. <laughs> um, who is your biggest, Talk about it. <laughs> who's your biggest inspiration and why? Uh,
1: biggest inspiration. Uh, you, you know, I, I'm a big believer that you need to have many, many mentors in your life. <clears throat> and I've been blessed. Uh, you know, my, uh, my wife, 32 years, she's hung with me. She's been my biggest fan, my biggest push, my biggest uh, uh, inspiration, my biggest advocate um, for 32 years. So I'm going to stick with her. Of course, my parents, you know, they're both gone, but uh, my they they served, they they owned restaurants. and My mom started out as a social worker, so I still kind of do what she did. So oh, yeah, those are probably the big ones.
0: I love that, love that. Um, so... Thank you so much, Jeff, for doing this. Um, I want you to get, leave us with a piece of advice um, to a nonprofit out there, especially, um, you know, maybe they're struggling or maybe they're just lost right now. Give us a little piece of advice on something they can do to better things right now.
1: Uh, for a nonprofit that's struggling right now, I would really encourage you to talk to somebody. You cannot run a nonprofit in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. Learn to find a mentor talk collaborate go out for coffee let your hair down and and just vent away because these are tough times right now and you really do need to talk to someone um my my wife my one of my favorite sayings is contrary to my wife's opinion i don't know it all but i'll surround myself with people who do and take that mantra
0: i know i i I love, love that because, um, that's why I I do the same thing. I'm like, I don't know anything, but that's why I reach out to people like yourself or other nonprofit leaders in this community, because I wouldn't know half the things. And obviously my board is, I can't give them enough um, credit, but, um, all right. So say like I'm an me or someone out there is looking to, um, hire you or use you. How can they go about this?
1: Just email me at Jeff at com, and uh, I'm, a, I'm an email away and I respond quickly.
0: Yes, you do. You're great at it. You can, and you can message him on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook. He is like, I'm very impressed with your presence on social media.
1: Not bad for an old guy, huh?
0: I'm very <laughs> impressed. All right. Thank you so much, Jeff.
1: Thank you for inviting me, my friend. It's good to see you.
0: Thanks for listening to Keeping Tabs. I'm Tabitha Crock, and if you like what you heard, make sure you subscribe to my YouTube, iTunes, or Spotify channel to keep up to date on all the podcasts. We release a podcast every Monday and Friday. This podcast is all about people. It's a community of people here in North Idaho and across the world. So subscribe and enjoy.